0: Uh, We are back. And, you know, actually, I I do want to revisit Hawaii just uh, briefly to note that there was an article in the Sacramento Bee questioning whether Hawaii was as expensive as some people thought it was. There were some prices quoted of like $600 a night, uh, making Hawaii, uh, by their survey, the most expensive place you could go in the U.S., ahead of uh, New York City. And I want to say that if you are considering uh, getting away, I, I I think you're a lot better off in Hawaii. If it wasn't for some astute phone work by KDVS's ex-general manager when I was in Manhattan, I would have had to go 30 miles out of town just to find a hotel. And of course, we uh, we like feedback from our listeners, and I do want to, to ask anyone who's been to Lanai to uh, <laughs> to send us an email because that's the one Hawaiian island that I've not had a chance to visit, and I'd like to know how it how it compares to the others, and we'll we'll share that data with you and. You know, talk about the other islands when we return to the subject of what's going on in Hawaii, which we'll do, I think, probably in the next month. And uh, speaking of a uh, listener mail, I want to thank uh, uh, Stacy for her email of a couple weeks back, noting that she'd been listening and, uh, and was struck by the fact that on this program we were addressing the possibility that the whole marriage equality issue could be a right-wing ploy to galvanize those opposed to it. Stacey noted that she'd been waiting for for what seemed like weeks for someone or anyone at all to mention that as a possibility, and she was grateful for the fact that we did so on this program. We certainly appreciate uh, the feedback, Stacey, and uh, yeah, I think think this is more than just an idle speculation. When when they mention things casually like, yes, uh, the Republican majority on the California Supreme Court that nevertheless endorsed this idea of gay marriage, you kind of have to think, hmm... If you've been following American politics, you would note that uh, judicial activism is something that conservatives decry when it is for matters of social justice, but it doesn't seem quite so bad when it comes to things like, you know, changing electoral outcomes or certifying electoral outcomes that go their way. And uh, speaking of campaign uh, 08, uh, which we should, I think, before we talk science, uh, I would recommend anyone out there listening near a computer to check out a website we talked about in election 04. It's www.270towin.com. This allows you to play with the electoral college to see uh, what, uh, what is likely to happen. And um, this has actually been an updated site, much better than it was in 04. It's a heck of a tool, probably the best tool you can find to, uh, to outline what's liable to happen in November. I'm struck by the fact in looking at it that uh, Barack Obama now has polling leads. It was announced yesterday that he's got a seven-point lead across the nation against John McCain, which, of course, means nothing because we don't elect presidents on the basis of a popular vote. You're elected president on the basis of how you do in the individual state-by-state contests in the 50 states and District of Columbia. The polling data on the site shows that... Uh, that uh, Barack Obama has got a lead in Colorado and New Mexico. If you add uh, Iowa to that list, uh, and otherwise hold the election as it was in 2004, Barack Obama will defeat John McCain. And that's assuming, of course, that uh, Florida, Ohio, North Carolina will all go to the GOP. If uh, the Obama campaign can make inroads into Florida and Ohio, uh, and, and, can, and can retain Pennsylvania... While also threatening in North Carolina, things look pretty good for the young man. Now, The big question mark looming over this election, of course, is will the votes actually be counted as cast? They certainly were not in 2004. Anyone out there listening with any kind of background in statistics would note that with a sampling size of 68,000, the possibility that John Kerry's 20 million vote projected lead would translate into an actual one and a half million vote plurality for George Bush are just astronomically low odds. And in fact, that is not what happened. It was not a statistical fluke, and it was not a matter of bad sampling. It was a corrupted vote count. Just because the mainstream media found that to be a very boring topic and treated any uh, references to it as Oh, conspiracy theorists at work again does not mean that that is not what all of the best evidence suggests happened. And uh, I don't know if any of you uh, caught uh, the interview uh, yours truly conducted with uh, uh, educator, political scientist, and an all round rabble-rouser, Michael Parenti, which we did on uh, on Access Television in Sacramento Monday night. Uh, Well... We, uh, we, we made mention of some of that on, on the program as well. I, I certainly don't always agree with Michael Parenti when it comes to some of his uh, uh, evaluations of other societies, other socialist societies and how wonderful they are. But uh, I certainly respect his analysis of uh, what's wrong with America. And I find that in most areas we have uh, very little disagreement. I would refer you uh, to his website, michaelperenti.org. To learn more about this individual who is uh, who, who is not only an original thinker but a man who expresses himself with remarkable clarity both of which might also be said for Robert shear who we are hoping to bring on this program either next week or the week after uh, Robert shear is one of our heroes among uh, among journalists out there and we are very keen to bring him uh, uh, bring him to you dear listeners so hopefully that uh, that will happen and the odds are quite good that it, that it will all right, uh, science topic number one, what's going on in Mars? Uh, I didn't realize this, but actually that, uh, that Mars mission, the Phoenix lander, has quite a local connection. Uh, Aerojet General, uh, was headquartered out in Rancho Cordova, uh, built the engine that uh, sent Phoenix out to Mars. And for more on Aerojet, we'd like to refer you to our archives for the wonderful interview we conducted a couple years back with George Pendle who wrote a book about one of the founders of Aerojet, the remarkable character uh, of uh, John Whiteside's Parsons. But at any rate, there's been quite a bit of uh, of nail-biting at Jet Propulsion Laboratory uh, this week when uh, they finally ordered the Martian lander to reach out its scoop, dig dig up a clump of Martian soil, and basically clomp it onto the spacecraft where it would be sifted and go down into some ovens. They would then bake the soil and, uh, and analyze what comes off. They're of course looking for water and hopefully some organic compounds. Regrettably, after taking the first clump of material and trying to plop it on the oven, they discovered that it was sticking to itself to the point where none of it was going down into the oven. This has proven to be quite a surprise to scientists who did not, not expect uh, the material to be so sticky. But they spent the last few days uh, figuring out how to jiggle it, how to to move it around, and they've they've announced that they now have gotten some material down into the ovens, and we should have the results here very shortly. Um, (laughs) There was a great fear at first that the little filters, which were only allowing like less than millimeter-sized particles to enter the ovens, uh, perhaps were too fine. And there was this sort of doomsday scenario of this lander sitting there taking clump after clump of material dropping it where it's supposed to go and having it just stick together like an old piece of pound cake. But uh, they got some pretty smart guys uh, working on this, and I think they're going to solve that problem. We're going to have some very interesting science to come off of Mars' North Pole here uh, before too long. All right, one topic we've been meaning to get to for some time is this issue about blood transfusions. A lot of good science is now showing that blood transfusions... Uh, of course, everyone knows they can be quite a lifeline, but uh, it appears they can frequently be harmful. Wrote uh, Rachel Nowak in, um, in New Scientist magazine, blood transfusion became a mainstay of medicine during the two world wars, where it was used as a last resort to save soldiers who had suffered massive blood loss. But now, far from being restricted to catastrophic bleeding, transfusions are routinely used as an optional treatment most commonly for patients in intensive care or undergoing major surgery. In these situations, mostly small volumes of red cells are transfused, usually after they've been stored at 4 degrees centigrade for anything up to 42 days. The rationale behind such blood transfusions seems incontrovertible. Red cells deliver vital oxygen to tissues, and seriously ill patients who are also anemic fare less well. So a transfusion should help those assumptions went untested for the better part of a century. Things started to change in 1999 with a randomized controlled trial of 838 critical care patients in Canada that used hemoglobin levels to determine when a blood transfusion was given. The study noted that transfusion protocols vary from hospital to hospital, but it is common for patients to receive transfusions when their hemoglobin dips between 70 and 100 grams per liter or their hematocrit Is in the 20 to 30 percent range. The Canadian study found significantly fewer patients died in hospital. That's 22 percent versus 28 percent if they received transfusions only when their hemoglobin fell below 70 grams per liter, rather than when it fell below 100. This is a very interesting thing in science. Uh, It seems so obvious that this would be good. That I don't think anyone probably did the necessary studies and. Now that they have done them, people are sort of hit between the eyes by the fact that, uh, well, uh, there's more problems here than we realized, and we're not sure why that is, but uh, studies will continue, and in the meantime, I'm quite certain that um, the use of uh, blood products, uh, well, actually, actually, I'm not certain at all that there'll be any change in the clinical practice of medicine despite this study, perhaps until a couple years go by, then we'll all of a sudden catch up. I don't know. Well, uh, we're going to see if we can get an expert on, us, on this program to talk about this uh, you know, before too long. And uh, speaking of medical studies, I was struck by the fact that I had no sooner gotten back from Hawaii um, when it was announced that a new study shows that flip-flops may be very bad for the health. Apparently, when you wear these, it adjusts, you adjust your stride to them a little bit, and this causes some extra pressure, leading to back pains and various, various aches in the lower extremities. And I started thinking, well, you know, uh, even though I was in a pretty good environment and trying to get some exercise and walking around those flip-flops uh, in Hawaii, well, I was sore the next day. I wonder if there's a there correlation. And uh, I tell you, I, I'm no podiatrist, but I was struck by another study that appeared in, uh, in, in The Week magazine, a reprint of an article titled, Shoes Are the Enemy, noting that to even athletic shoes uh, subject uh, our bones to some beatings and that... Uh, some of these funny-looking new, new shoes they're coming out with that, you know, look like look they have these strange rocker bottoms on this, uh, on them. May, may be the wave of the future when it comes to footwear. Of course, it seems like a no-brainer that uh, when we're wearing shoes, we're not getting that push-off that toes normally supply when you're walking. So, uh, you know, I suspect there is definitely something to this. You know, when I was a young lad, I spent an awful lot of time walking around barefoot uh, in, the, in the orchards. And, uh, you know, I think my, my feet were never in such good shape. All right, here's another item from uh, the medical world uh, that uh, we've been sitting on. Uh, I think I made passing mention of this a few months ago that Airborne, that, uh, that product you see uh, advertised like crazy, well, they agreed to pay $23 million to settle a lawsuit over false advertising over its uh, Miracle Cold Buster. I'm going to quote an article from the Center for Science and the Public Interest, uh, Dateline, uh, uh, Washington, D.C., uh, from, uh, from March the 3rd. The makers of Airborne, a multivitamin and herbal supplement whose labels and ads falsely claim that the product cures and prevents colds, will refund money to consumers who bought the product as part of a $23 million class action settlement agreement. The company will pay for ads in Better Homes and Gardens, Parade, People, Newsweek, and many other magazines and newspapers instructing consumers on how to get refunds. Concocted by second grade teacher Victoria Knight-McDowell and her screenwriter husband Thomas Ryder-McDowell, Airborne promised to, quote, boost your immune system to help your body combat germs, unquote, and instructed users to, quote, take it at the first sign of a cold symptom or before entering crowded potentially germ-infested environments, unquote. The company's folksy created by a school slogan and insistence that the product be stocked with real cold, cough, and flu medicines instead of with dietary supplements helped turn the company into an overnight success, as did appearances by Victoria Knight McDowell on The Oprah Winfrey Show. But in February of 2006, ABC News revealed on Good Morning America that Airborne's much-touted lone clinical trial was actually conducted without any doctors or scientists. It was just a two-man operation started up to do just the Airborne study. Airborne's basic formula contains vitamins A, C, and E, as well as other nutrients common in multivitamins. It's basically a multivitamin capsule. The Center for Science and the Public Interest cautioned that Airborne may actually provide too much vitamin A since just two pills provide 10,000 international units, which is the maximum safe level for a day, but the package directs customers to take three per day. And uh, it's not true that if you take too many vitamins, you just pee them out. Uh, some vitamins are fat soluble, vitamins A, D, E, and K, and you just, they just don't pass out of the body into the urine. And uh, in, my, in my medical training once long ago, I, I saw a woman actually kill herself with overdoses of vitamin A. It took her a while. No matter matter how much everyone kept telling her, you know, you're destroying your liver with massive doses of vitamin A, she insisted the reason she was sick was that she didn't have enough vitamin A. So guess what she ingested large quantities of every time she was discharged. And uh, here's one that took me a while to catch up on. This cold and flu season here in Northern California was, uh, was a pretty bad one. And patients kept saying things like, well, you know, geez, and I was taking Airborne. And I would say, and I was ready for that one. I'd go, well, you should have saved your money. But several folks were mentioning, well, I took Zycam and I still got sick. And I I thought, I'm going to find out what's in the Zycam. And to my horror, I discovered that Zycam is a homeopathic product. Homeopathy is, of course, based on the somewhat unscientific notion that if you can find an herb or a compound... That will induce the symptoms of a disease. Then you start diluting that compound down; it will still have an effect and will still help cure you. This has been a favorite topic on Dr. Dean Dell's radio program for, for many years. Uh, people claim that if you take something and dilute it down to its, you know, a, a million, a trillion times, oh, it's still effective. Anyway, the June issue of uh, of Consumer Reports uh, had a, a pretty good blast at ZyCAM. Consumer Reports noted that, uh, for example, the active ingredient in a homeopathic flu remedy called oxalococcinum are wild duck heart and liver, apparently because those organs are said to contain tiny amounts of the flu virus, which, you know, this to me sounds like medical remedies from the Adams family. Magazine noted that, of course, there's little evidence to back up this notion, according to a 2005 meta-analysis in The Lancet of 110 placebo-controlled homeopathy trials, matched with 110 trials of conventional drugs, uh, showed that uh, any benefit from homeopathic remedies was, quote, compatible with the effects of a placebo, unquote. An accompanying editorial said the findings were less surprising than the fact that debate over homeopathy continues, quote, despite 150 years of unfavorable findings, unquote. Now, the FDA is officially required to regulate homeopathic drugs, but a spokesman said the agency doesn't review those products and so does not approve them as safe and effective. And uh, apparently that's partly because the items are so diluted they're thought to pose little direct risk. Anyway, Consumer Reports was, uh, I think, outraged over a lot of this. They noted that in addition to Zycam's hay fever products, which, you know, are, which, there's a, a diagram showing how, you know, you can go in the store and here's Zycam right next to an actual functioning medical product like a nasal uh, decongestant. But they noted that homeopathic yeast pills were uh, sold next to a similarly packaged FDA-approved drug for urinary pain. So the punchline, and I'm quoting consumer reports, check whether the the -the over-the-counter products are labeled homeopathic. If they are, don't buy them. There's not enough evidence to justify their use. If you do opt for one, stick with a product with the HPUS label, which which would at least certify that it supposedly comes under what's called the Homeopathic Pharmacopeia Convention of the United States. It is curious to note that as little as that means, consumer reports found that only four of the 12 homeopathic products we checked were even labeled that way. Anyway, speaking of fighting off disease, uh, I was quite, uh, quite, uh, quite amused by this article from, uh, from USA Today reprinted in The Week magazine, which noted that uh, alligators almost never get sick. And I must admit, I've always puzzled over how an alligator can catch something, pull it underwater, let it rot for a while, then later consume it and suffer no ill effects. In the same way, I wonder, how can a carrion bird eat roadkill and thrive? Well, it was noted that alligators and other animals have super immune systems that ward off virtually every virus and bacteria. And naturally, scientists are now trying to figure out their secret to create treatments that could be used for us humans. But I find this quite interesting. Researchers had exposed alligator and human blood samples to 23 types of bacteria. The human sample destroyed 8. The alligator blood destroyed them all. So far it appears that alligators do not rely on customized antibodies to destroy microinvaders, but have proteins in their blood that kill off everything that seems remotely alien to their system. Said researcher Lancia Darville, who did the research at the Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge, as soon as the chemical structure of these key proteins are understood, they can be examined for their potential as human cures. Of course, the homeopathy people will start start marketing dilute alligator blood. And their excuse will be, oh, it's safe. We diluted it way down. All right, I've got so many more topics to cover, and I just don't have enough time. So let, let's 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 take a break and come back and finish up with some obituaries and miscellaneous good stuff. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Yes, yeah. here comes Amos. Now, Amos Moses was a Cajun. He lived by himself in the swamp. He hunted alligator for living. He'd knock him in the head with a stone. The Louisiana law gonna get you Amos It ain't legal hunting alligator down in the swamp, boy Now everybody blamed his old man For making him mean as a snake When Amos Moses was a boy His daddy would use him for alligator bait Tie a rope around his waist And throw him in the swamp <laughs>